This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress is something of an odd duck. It has 50-50 party membership. Members of the two parties sit among one another. They don't seem to bicker. Now the committee has held detailed hearings on its agenda in the 117th Congress. Here with an update, committee chairman and Washington representative Derek Kilmer. Representative Kilmer, good to have you back. Great to be back with you. And you had an extensive hearing with lots of people from outside that have an interest in Congress in general working better. And I just wanted to ask you about some of the findings. Uh, Diversity and inclusion seems to be a high-profile conversation almost everywhere in public life nowadays. And this came up for Congress as an employer, didn't it? It did. You know, we had a great hearing where we brought in a whole bunch of the civil society groups, groups that are interested in reform, organizations that care about Congress working better. And we had an entire panel of folks who were concerned about ensuring that Congress is a place that can recruit and retain a staff and have a staff that looks like the American people. And we heard some really interesting testimony around the importance of the new Office of Diversity and Inclusion, about the value of looking at internships as an avenue into working for Congress and the importance of ensuring that those internship opportunities are available for everybody, regardless of their background, their race or ethnicity, their personal family financial picture. And I think those are threads that the committee has pulled on previously and are likely going to be issues that we engage on in this Congress as well. And of course, technology is always a big one. And that has two sides, really. One, congressional expertise in modern contemporary science and technology matters. And that's a huge, broad range spectrum, artificial intelligence, you name it. And then, of course, there's the perennial of technology of the House itself. And, of course, in the past year of pandemic, there's been some real technological progress forced by the pandemic itself. So comment on what you might see ahead and what you might be discussing on both those fronts, technology of the Congress and congressional expertise in technology. As an institution, we need to do better on both fronts. Congress has been aptly described as an 18th century institution using 20th century technology to solve 21st century problems. And I think there are some real opportunities to engage on this, to look at, for example, how Congress purchases and uses technology to, you know, really look at some of the shortcomings in Congress's current approach to the use of technology, to look at best practices in technology adoption and purchasing across offices and training you know, really with the goal of identifying recommendations that could ensure that Congress is fully conversant with the latest developments in technology and able to anticipate the impacts of future developments and really with the hope of also proactively shaping policies to manage them. On top of that, you rightfully pointed out some of the issues facing just individual members. I think one of the paramount issues that will likely be a front burner issue for the committee is issues related to cybersecurity with more and more offices working remotely, ensuring that Congress has the capacity to do that, which obviously the learning curve ramped up very substantially over this last year because of the pandemic. But ensuring that that work can happen in a secure manner, I think, is very important. And so we're likely to look at that issue, too. The other thing, though, that I'll mention, it's an area that you didn't raise, and that is how technology can be used for evidence-based policymaking and for building public trust. We heard at the hearing we had recently, you know, some examples of that and where 
technology could be used to engage the public to dig into analytics so that Congress gets better at evidence-based policymaking and at building public trust. And I think technology has a clear role to play there as well. I mean, that would take some fortitude, I think, on the part of Congress. And I'll just bring up one example. There has been a spate of shootings in the United States, and so the gun regulation, gun debate comes up, and it's you know pretty hot right now. One of the measures discussed is safe storage, which is a you know, worthy cause. But safe storage has nothing to do with these highly public shootings that we've seen occur throughout the country. And so evidence on what is really going on in that case might make some people have to change their positions, even within the context of the greater public good they might believe in with respect to greater gun regulation. I just bring that up as an example. I think there's an opportunity, and there's a lot of things that drive policymaking currently, making sure that as Congress engages on these issues, it's done in a way that reflects facts and reflects data is important. You know, we also heard in our hearing about the concept of crowd law, the practice of using technology to tap into the collective intelligence and expertise of the public with an eye towards improving the quality and legitimacy of lawmaking. You know, that's a topic I think we could very likely dig into as well, where we could explore how already you've seen some parliaments and legislatures and city councils around the world use new technology to really strengthen public participation in the lawmaking process and try to tap into some of that expertise that exists. We're speaking with Washington State Democrat Derek Kilmer, who chairs the Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress. And in a related issue is communications with constituents and modernizing that, because I think that came up in a couple of your witnesses, that the volume and diversity of communications that come at a member of Congress, I don't know how you guys handle it because every person now represents more than 700,000 people. That would seem to be a really urgent one to be able to get that sense, as you mentioned, of what are people really thinking in my district and then add it all up in the country. Yeah, that came up in our hearing and I think, again, is a great opportunity for the committee to engage on that subject of how do you use new tools for constituent outreach? You know, public disengagement can limit the range of political perspective that Congress hears and leaves the space, you know, oftentimes to hyperpartisans who already drive the debate. You know, what we've seen is some new tools that have been developed to create more integrated, more data-based, more constituent-focused conversations around policy issues. So, for example, we heard about in our hearing PopVox, which recently piloted a platform for the House Committee on Natural Resources, which allowed the committee to solicit input on environmental justice legislation. And the committee posted the bill on its website and the platform actually allowed citizens to read and comment on the bill, which provided the committee with valuable citizen input that is often missing in the context of Congress. So I think we are going to be looking at some of these new avenues through which we could engage our constituents. And finally, there was a discussion on legislative process itself and greater participation in legislation by more members. And that's kind of an interesting idea because I guess there are some members that have their names attached to landmark legislation and are always on to bills. And then you have some members that come and go after 10, 12, 20, 30 years sometimes with not a whole lot to show on the legislative front except having voted. So what was the thinking there? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I think, you know, as our committee has started having discussions about the work on the 117th, you know, part of the focus is on just trying to determine steps that could be taken to improve efficacy of individual members. And then the hope being that in the aggregate, 
as an institution, you see Congress work better for the American people, which is really the mission of our committee. You know, there are different things that impede that type of progress. You know, one of the things that you heard discussed at our recent hearing were issues related to efforts to enhance civility and more bipartisan collaboration. You know, that fed into a lot of the committee's work in the 116th Congress. I think we'll continue to explore ways to encourage the institution and individual members to work more collaboratively and to treat each other with respect. There was also acknowledgement that part of the challenges in Congress are not necessarily about rules and procedures, but are just about norms and culture and trying to look at means through which the institution can simply be more functional, I think is uh, quite important. I, I shared with the collective group, we've started talking not just to political scientists, but to you know, organizational psychologists and folks who work on corporate culture. And, you know, at this point, I'm happy to talk to everyone from uh, folks who have expertise in marriage counseling or exorcism to figure out how we actually <laughs> get members of Congress to work together so that we can actually solve problems for the American people. Well, here's my advice, and it's free. Maybe have members never look at Facebook and Twitter again and instead talk to one another and talk to people. <laughs> that that may be good, just general advice. I did a session for my constituents, actually, at the beginning of the pandemic, where one of the leaders in our mental health community just talked about tips and tricks for getting through the pandemic. And one of their words of wisdom was limit your exposure to social media. So <laughs> maybe, Tom, that's just good advice in general. And do you find that this particular assignment, among everything else going on in Congress, continues to generate your own enthusiasm for the next couple of years? Well, I'm really excited about, one, the progress that we've made so far. I mean, not to be lost in this, in the last Congress, the Select Committee worked together to pass 97 recommendations with unanimous support to make Congress more efficient, more effective, more accessible, more transparent, you know, and all with the goal of making the institution work better for the American people. And we made a lot of progress. Many of our recommendations have either already been implemented or are in the process of being implemented. So part of the focus in this Congress will be making sure that those other recommendations, you know, we didn't make recommendations so that they could go get put on a shelf. We made recommendations because we want the institution to work better. And I think, you know, I'm excited. We've got seven of our 12 members of the committee are new to the committee. And, you know, I think that they, they bring new energy, new ideas. And, you know, we have a real opportunity here to engage on not just some of the issues you asked me about today, but some other issues that could really make a difference in enhancing the institution and hopefully having a Congress that works better for the American people. Washington State Democrat Derek Kilmer chairs the Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress. Thanks so much for joining me. You bet. Thank you. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way, uh, great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader. All of these are backward-looking um, 
development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees, Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service, which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exist today. Well, that about says it all, but is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. 
I've led, this is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime. And uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.